Hey everyone, welcome to the For the Love Data podcast. I'm your host, Robert Furr, and I want to thank everybody that's been listening along with me. Uh, This episode is actually coming out right around the three-year anniversary of when I first started this podcast. And the goal of it has always been to uh, take a deep dive into data uh, in its many aspects in our lives and try to uh, understand how it's changing us for the better, possibly for the worse, and find some hidden insights. And we, over the last three years, we've covered a diverse range of topics from barbecue and chocolate all the way to algorithms and how they're embedded throughout our lives and even how graph databases work. Uh, it's been an exciting time for me. I've gotten to talk to some friends, some great coworkers, um, some leaders in different parts of different industries, and it's been a really great learning experience for me from everything from uh, putting the podcast together and the post-production and editing to how you publish it and market it. Uh, but as I've reflected over the, the last few years, I've decided that it's time to make a little bit of a change to the podcast. Um, so from this point forward, future episodes are going to be more ad hoc than they have been. I had been on a publishing schedule where I was trying to uh, publish one episode at the end of every month. And that brings with it some certain scheduling challenges when holidays, vacation, trips, uh, deadlines uh, come into the picture. And um, it's been a labor of love, but it's time for me to make a change to bring this to a more ad hoc uh, schedule. And so whenever I come across a topic that's interesting, I'll make a new episode. Uh, if there's uh, something that someone's interested in and they, they really want me to take a deep dive, deep dive into it, I'm happy to um, discuss that and, and try to do that on, a, on an ad hoc basis. Um, but the cadence of this will, will change a little bit. And I don't know what that will be from this point forward, but what I do encourage you to do is please stay subscribed. Uh, it's been really wonderful seeing how many people download this uh, every day and some of the comments that I've been getting. Uh, and I would really like it for people to reach out on Twitter or LinkedIn and let me know what your favorite episode has been. Uh, again, it's been a, a, a lot of fun making this podcast and, um, learning some things about myself and, and how I do my work and the topics that have, uh, kind of come across my desk and been of interest. Uh, and so please enjoy, uh, what's here and, and what's to come and, uh, and please stay in touch. Uh, and with that, I'm going to leave you today, uh, with a few things from the news, um, that, uh, I, I read about recently and I wanted to do an episode on data commercialization and three things, uh, across my desk over the past week that I've found fairly interesting. One is an article where Ford CEO suggested that they may start commercializing some of the data that they have on their customers. Another was uh, essentially a critique from Tim Cook in uh, a speech that he gave to some European leaders about some of uh, his peers are using data in their operations. And most recently, Marriott disclosed a 500 million record breach uh, that happened uh, with hackers accessing uh, one or more of their databases since 2014. So I want to take a moment and talk about the importance of your data. And I think it's very fitting on this uh, being the last regularly scheduled episode to do that. First, I want to start you off with a quote, with great power comes great responsibility. And that's not an exact quote. It's a little bit of a paraphrase Um, that came from the Spider-Man movie. And it actually originated in the amazing Spider-Man comic book number 15. 
Uh, and it was actually there uh, said by the narrator, not by a specific person. Uh, but it's something to keep in mind whenever you're talking about data, because when you give data to someone else, you need to expect that they have great responsibility and they're going to exercise care with it. When you're holding someone's data, you need to understand um, what you can do with that and what's ethical and what's not ethical. And you need to be responsible and uh, let people know your intentions with it. If you're going to change that from what you originally agreed to, you need to do that. Um, and it's something that's going to come up more and more as our lives become more connected and uh, as services integrate more and more. I've got links in the show notes to uh, some of these articles that uh, that I'm going to reference, and you can, of course, take a look there. Uh, and if you need anything, you can always reach out to me. But um, earlier this week, Ford CEO, I believe it was in an interview with NPR, um, suggested that data collected by the company's financial services arm also represents a valuable low, head, low overhead asset. Now, keep in mind, this is not just driving data. It's not data that they're collecting when you're driving their cars. Um, it's something that you've opted in on something like GPS tracking for uh, OnStar type things. Um, but it's actually using your data from the purchase process, such as your marital status, your income, etc., and then turning that into a product that they could leverage either to provide services to you um, or provide to other people. And I don't want you to freak out here because the CEO was really talking more in a what-if uh, scenario. They don't have any plans to do this. Their, I don't know if it was their marketing team or their legal team came out later and said they are very cautious about the data that they're using and they're not doing any of that yet. But it does point to a fact that you may very often give your data to a company um, to start your service with them, to start a loan with them, um, to buy a product that in no way relates to that financial information or that initial data that you give them. And then you go off on your merry way with their product or their service and you, you're using that and you're happy. But they can still retain that data and they can use it to uh, do anything from upsell you on products um, to provide um, interesting and compelling discounts to you. Uh, but then they can also uh, sell it to advertisers or sell it to other um, parts of the industry like marketers and things like that. And so you need to be aware of the potential to do that. And, um, you know, some companies may, in desperation to maintain profits, decide that they want to do that as a way to shore up their bottom line. And I'm not saying that any of the car companies are doing that, but some of them are struggling right now. There are changes in that industry with electric vehicles coming up and uh, with things like ride shares and things like that that, uh, that may have more and more impacts in the future. So people may turn to new and creative avenues to uh, either make profits or provide you services. And, and that's definitely not all bad. If someone has the ability to uh, make a compelling offer to you that you're interested in, and they can do that through a data-driven approach that gives you an offer that's much more tailored to you, and it's very compelling to you versus being something very generic, then that's valuable to you. And if they can do that uh, in a much more pinpoint manner and save some of their resources, that can save them money. So all of that's a good thing. Uh, you know, Supply and demand, market economics, nothing's bad with that. 
but you do need to have a great understanding of what data they have, how they're using it, and you need to have an expectation that the company will uphold that they're going to announce to you how you're doing that. And that kind of shifts over into the second article, which is uh, an article talking about Tim Cook's speech. And you can look up Tim Cook's speech on YouTube. It's about a 22-minute speech. Uh, and in it, he recently criticized Google, Facebook, and other social networks, not directly by name, but he uh, he criticized them for creating a, quote, data industrial complex uh, in which our personal information is being weaponized against us with military efficiency. What he was really talking about here is how social networks and other companies are taking our data and they're creating extremely uh, specific algorithms and news feeds and things like that that will more and more reinforce uh, you know, specific items. It could be something specific that the company wants you to see. It could be something specific that you're interested in. It could be tailoring your views. Uh, and so we've talked about that a little bit on this uh, podcast, and there's a lot of people that have been talking about what an echo chamber social networks have become, how if you're interested in one particular topic, it can um, show you only that at the expense of anything else, losing a little bit of objectivity. And it can drive you to more and more extreme viewpoints. And I think there's definitely some some truth to this. Um, you, Tim Cook gives the explanation of, you know, if somebody's interested in the color red and they put that in their profile, then it can start showing them those things. But over time, it can start showing you videos that villainize people that are interested in something that's the color orange or something like that. And that's a really um, benevolent example of that. But around the time of political elections and things like that, there was a lot of talk about echo chambers on the right, echo chambers on the left, and how that can open you up for a, uh, a much more tailored viewpoint. You can, you can lose an ability to empathize with the other side, to understand their viewpoints, and it also uh, leads to an unfortunate circumstance where foreign companies or other entities can come in and, and really use that information um, against you to, to try to sway your opinion one way or to try to um, you know get you to have certain outlooks or even participate in certain things like certain petitions and things like that. And if you're not careful about remaining objective, um, you might be susceptible to a situation where someone is being less than truthful. And all of that is a, a huge challenge that's going to come to us more and more. Right now, it's very prevalent on social media. It's very prevalent on video platforms. Um, but you might start to get that in something as simple as the blog posts that you see on MyFitnessPal when you go in to track your daily uh, calories. So you need to be aware that algorithms are uh, at work every day and they're, they're trying to be helpful, but sometimes they can be malicious and sometimes they can inadvertently um, cause you to uh, see something that is not truthful or maybe not as objective as it could be. So if you want more information about that, there is actually an earlier uh, episode that we did on uh, algorithms. I would suggest that you go and listen to that. But I do want to also mention that um, this is not all data doomsday. I don't want this episode to seem like you know we're, it's gloom and doom. There's no hope for us. Data is helping us achieve better, deeper, faster insights than it ever has before. We're bettering our health, we're optimizing our economies and our interactions with uh, vendors and other companies. Um, we're identifying connections that we never could have before at a scale that's grander than ever before. So all of these are rewards that we need to celebrate and we need to continue to use data um, to drive towards those goals. But they do come with some risks that we need to manage and we need to be aware of. 
and one of those such risks is data breaches. And uh, I do have a link to this. Um, it's been all over the news recently, but Marriott recently disclosed a 500 million record breach uh, of one of their databases where hackers had been accessing it since 2014. It's not the biggest breach of all time, but it is significant. Um, for about 327 million people, names, phone numbers, email addresses, passport numbers, date of birth, arrival and departure information were all uh, part of that database. And for others, credit card numbers and expiration dates were potentially compromised. The credit card piece was encrypted, but as of the last article I saw, Marriott didn't know if the uh, intruders were going to be able to decrypt that or not because they may have been able to get the keys for that as well. So what are some things that you can do to protect yourself, uh, to minimize your chance of being part of a breach, and if a breach happens, what can you do after that? Um, first is be very cautious with what you share online. Um, minimize the amount of information that you have to give to people. Um, there's a service I use, it's free, um, at least for home use, uh, it's called SpyCloud, uh, and I recommend that. You actually plug in your email addresses and they comb through different data breaches that happen and um, they will alert you if your credentials are um, appear in a data breach and they can even go back retroactively and sometimes a data set will uh, become available now for a breach that happened years ago and so it can even alert you for that. Uh, I've used this and I've found everything from plain text passwords um, that were passwords that I used years ago um, to encrypted hashes of passwords and so it's really eye-opening to see how many places your data are that are uh, that have been part of a breach and um, you know if you think if you use a password manager or something like that if you look through that you potentially have hundreds of um, sites and uh, accounts that you have different places a lot of people use common usernames and passwords on that it's very risky to do that it's much uh, much more recommended to change your password uh, to something that's unique per service and if you do discover that your data is part of a breach one of the first things you need to do is go and change your password on that ideally you want to start switching to unique passwords phrases, which are going to be something longer than, say, 15 characters. Um, you don't have to have special characters or uppercase, lowercase at that point, generally, according to recommendations by NIST and other organizations, that once you get past that, the chance of brute forcing your password is so minimal that, uh, that, that you can forego some of those other complexities that have been introduced uh, previously. And you don't necessarily have to change your password regularly unless you suspect that it's part of a breach. So moving to unique passwords have tremendous benefits all over the board. Um, continuously monitor your accounts for suspicious activity, but do that um, particularly after a breach like this one is disclosed. Uh, I would recommend locking your credit with the credit bureaus if you're not in the middle of some kind of purchase that would need that. Um, it's now free to lock and unlock your credit. And then um, something that I've done personally is opening a separate credit card. Um, one recommendation is have a separate credit card for online transactions. That way, if that's breached, you don't have any um, any of your in-person or recurring payments uh, that would be um, at risk for that uh, credit card number being taken and misused. Uh, I've actually done it a little bit differently. We uh, have a separate credit card that we use for all of our recurring payments. We don't use that in the wild anywhere else. We don't use it when we purchase from Amazon. We don't use it when we um, donate to uh, charity or... Um, 
when we do just a, a random purchase and we and we don't ever take that credit card out and actually use it at a store locally. Um, so that's a way that we can minimize that. And one, it gives us a, a really handy view of everything that we have on AutoPay. Um, but two, if we lose our credit card um, when we're out walking around, if our, my wallet gets stolen, um, if we do a, uh, a purchase at a site that uh, you know may not be super secure, is a little bit sketchy, or later on that site gets hacked, then um, we don't have to go out and change all of our auto pay passwords. So that's been really helpful for us, and we kind of learned that the hard way several years ago when we had everything tied to one credit card, and that credit card walked away when we were um, out in public, and uh, we instantly had to go and uh, change things, and it took us several weeks to unwind that. Uh, next is limit the amount of information that you share, um, whether it's uh, what you fill out in an online profile or security questions that you answer. Limit what you can to the absolute minimum, kind of a need-to-know basis. And specifically with security questions, if you can have a set of fake answers that don't tie to you that you always use, those are going to be um, much more anonymous and prevent things like social engineering uh, from, from being something that puts you at risk. Uh, in general, if you can, avoid saving credit card information on websites. I know realistically this is a very hard thing to do um, for sites that you use very often or uh, things that are extremely convenient, but the bottom line is um, the less places that that information is stored, the less of a chance that it can get out and and be exfiltrated or, or um, compromised. And then last is be vigilant. Um, you know, follow security trends, follow security news, um, monitor your online transactions, your bank account statements, your credit card statements, and really watch out for those kinds of things and be prepared to take action and very quick action if you notice something's amiss or if you notice um, someone discloses a breach like this. So that kind of wraps up uh, talk about data commercialization. One thing that we didn't really get into is uh, even some financial services companies like banks are looking at ways to do data commercialization and how they can offer you more compelling products and services, how they can share information with partners to bundle things for you or give you uh, more valuable offers. And like I said, there's ways that, they, that companies can do that responsibly. They can, um, they can have a conversation with you or a dialogue with you and let you know their intent, let you opt into those things. They can also anonymize this stuff and take some of your detailed information, anonymize it to a geographic or a demographic level and make that available to people. And that's a good compromise between um, nothing and, and something that's very tailored and potentially a little bit creepy. Uh, so if you have thoughts about this, please um, contact me on Twitter at Love of Data um, or um, contact me on LinkedIn. And like I said, it's been a great ride. I really appreciate um, everyone that's been on the podcast and participated in it. And I do look forward to the future. Um, again, the schedule may change a little bit after, uh, after a little while, but um, for now, please stay subscribed and, and please enjoy. And until next time, uh, keep enjoying enjoying uh, your love of data and sharing it with the world. We hope you're enjoying the For the Love of Data podcast. If you are, please support us by leaving a review wherever you listen to podcasts, such as iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher. To stay plugged in to all things data, subscribe to our mailing list at fortheloveofdata.com. You can also find show notes for all our episodes on the website as well. We'd love to hear your thoughts on today's topic, or ideas for future episodes. To get in touch, tweet us at Love of Data or at Robert Fur on Twitter. Thanks for joining us, and until next time, keep spreading the love of data to the world around you.